Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Morning, everybody. As you know, I'm not James. You're stuck with me today. But we're glad you're here. Let's let everybody get situated. That's all right. I'm nobody special. That's all right. <clears throat> all right. Let me get used to speaking in this mask here. So, have you ever watched a TV show called Cheers? You ever heard of it? Yeah. So, young, young folks. Inside, outside, whatever. You ask your parents, you know who they are. So what's the the phrase that they use in the song where everybody knows your name? In the show, somebody would come through the front doors of the Cheers uh, bar and everybody would yell out their name if they knew them. Kind of like coming to church. Everybody kind of knows everybody. At least they hope so. But how do we get to that point? We ask them about their likes and dislikes, their feelings on the weather. What did it did Saturday? How oh, the family. We get to know them personally. Then eventually we see who they are by what they do and how they react to things. A lot by how they serve in the church and in their community. Then sometimes, like myself, they become legendary. Everybody gets to know their name. But we'll talk about that a little later. <clears throat> let, me talk, let me start today with a, another question. If I really want to know what kind of person you are, who should I ask? For sure, I could ask your friends. But I would for sure absolutely want to talk to your enemies. So we're going to be looking at Acts 19, verses 11 through 20. And as we get there, let me pray for us. Father, Lord, we thank you for today, and again, and what another glorious day it is. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you've given us this opportunity and this love that uh, separates us from, from nothing that you give us, Lord. And we we ask that you watch over us, keeping us naturally safe and healthy as we continue on through our lives. But uh, bless us especially uh, as we go through this this time together. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for what you have in store for us. I ask that you, Lord, speak through me in this message. Whatever you want to get out, you get it out through me. Use me as your conduit, Lord, and thank you for allowing me to do so for you. Bless us again, like I said, in Jesus' precious name, amen. So let's look at the scripture here. Verse 11 starts off with, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that every handkerchief or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left them. And the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jews, exorcists, Jewish exorcists, excuse me, took, took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. However, those who had evil spirits 
saying, we exercise you by the name, by the Jesus who Paul preached. It's a little unusual. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. Verse 15 says, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was, was le leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them. So they fled out of the house, naked and wounded. This became known by both, all, both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on all of them, or them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many those who had practiced magic and brought their books together and burned them in the sight of the Lord, or in the sight of all. <laughs> and they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see, Paul was going about casting, evil, ca casting out evil spirits through Jesus Christ in Ephesus. And scripture uses the word itinerant Jews, meaning traveling. Itinerant Jews who were either religiously corrupt or opposed Christian Jews such as Paul. Itinerant Jews were persons who traveled about as professional exorcists. An exorcist in that time was a person who removed or cast out or attempted the removal of an evil spirit from a person or place. Sounds fun, huh? There were some religious imposters in Ephesus who pretended to have special miracle-working powers. Skeva, who was identified as a Jewish chief priest, had seven sons who went around driving out evil spirits, seeking or seeing the success that Paul had in getting rid of demons, these guys began to use a new formula, petitioning the name of Jesus. They would say to the demon, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. See, this strategy kind of backfired on him. It backfired on these guys one day and a demon they were trying to cast out refused saying Jesus I know and Paul I know but who are you? Then the demon turned on them violently. <clears throat> See the demon possessed man jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. There were no match for this demonic power. They were trying, they were, they were toying with. The problem is they had no relationship with God. I mentioned before, way back, I kind of get a kick out of watching some of those ghost hunting TV shows. And some of those shows are pretty funny. And the people in them try to get evidence of life after death use some form of uh, devices, electronic and whatnot, and, and different methods to get a, uh, 
capture of a ghost or a voice from beyond. They sometimes take out a little board game. You ever heard of the Ouija board? This often ends with disastrous results. They do this thinking they have control over the situation. They don't. They usually run out of the house similar to this and they're screaming. They definitely, definitely are missing a key to this false sense of security, a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus. When the Jews and the Gentiles in Ephesus heard about what Paul was doing, they were so frightened, they passed, they praised on the name of the Lord Jesus. See, many who were followers now started telling everybody about the evil things they had been doing. Some had been preaching, practicing witchcraft, even brought their books and burned them in public. These books were both, were all about 50,000 pieces of silver. So the Lord's message was spread and became even more powerful. In this world today, they are burning the wrong books. You see, they're lost again, just like they were then. They're missing a key, and that key is Jesus. You see, things change when we come to the Lord, know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Paul said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. See, it's very easy to talk the talk. Great moves of God draw people's attention. Unfortunately, man's always seeking their own attention. They're looking for their own attention or a way to profit from it. And the world is full of imitators. See, God will expose those deceptions. The demon asked, who are you? Church attendance didn't matter. Position didn't matter. Fanfare didn't matter. A personal relationship with Jesus is all that counts. Those living a false faith will eventually be exposed and brought down. <clears throat> know that God and Paul had such a relationship. They were on what we call cherished terms. They knew each other. They trusted each other. And because of this relationship, while the Apostle Paul lived, the devil had no peace. So, you want to make the devil nervous? I do. Let me give you three steps on how to make the devil nervous. Number one, we talked about this in our Sunday school, you've got to be committed. See, committed Christians make the devil nervous. Committed Christians are those who are sold out, washed in the blood, filled with the Spirit, and schooled in the Word. To me, one of those beautiful and meaningful, meaningful passages, one of the most meaningful passages to me, is found when Paul is in essence saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Are you committed? Sometimes they think I should be, but that's all right. Am I committed? Committed to Christ as Paul was. What was Paul saying? We must die. Paul first stated, I have been crucified with Christ. I believe that Paul has reference to his own conversion. Paul taught the Romans, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him and the body of the sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Romans 6.6. 6. The devil doesn't care how many times you come to church as long as you don't grow in the Lord. There's, no, there's a song that we periodically sing, I Surrender All. Christians must surrender all. Not just a little bit, not just on Sundays. Maybe a few sprinkles here and there when people are watching. All. It is no longer I who live. Here I believe we can see what kind of commitment Paul had by living the way he lived. Following the examples that he set. 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. 1 Peter 2.21-22 for, for this you were called. Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. You see, we must all die to ourselves and live as Christ lived. We need to surrender all and truly give all to Christ. We also need to pray. Second thing, too, praying Christians make the devil nervous. Amen. Time you spend with the Lord is more often effective than you than the time you spend for, with the. <laughs> If the Lord is more effective than the time you spend for the Lord. You see what I'm saying here? The, the devil would rather have you work. For work can be done in the flesh. True power can only be done in the spirit. The devil doesn't care how many people talk Christianity. He cares how many live it out on their knees. James 5.1 says, The effective, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much I have a little thing I like to look at it's, uh, it's also on t-shirts and things I've seen it says the devil saw me on my knees and he thought that he had won until he heard me say amen then he was afraid but see we must also forgive that's a hard one See, forgiving Christians make the devil nervous. One of Satan's best tools is to get Christians working against one another. Colossians 3.13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one each other, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's hard to do. Especially when you think about how people are thinking for themselves and hurting the ones that they love the most. 
Is there somebody in your life right now that you need to forgive? Christ didn't give us a suggestion. He gave us a command. There's a devil who knew who you are. The evil spirit said, Jesus I know and Paul I know. But who are you? That's the result of true revival that uh, they burnt their occult books and their idolatrous materials. Over 50,000 pieces of silver worth of unclean materials were destroyed because those Christians now had the real thing in their hands. So I ask this question to encourage you and draw you even closer to God. Does the devil know your name? So sometimes we think about that and get a little scared. I hope the devil doesn't know who I am. But truly, the devil does because he is your enemy. If a band of demons came upon you on the street, would they say something like, Now Jesus, we know him. We know Paul. We know him. But who are you? Would you consider yourself a committed Christian? Could you be more committed? Who knows who you are and what you're about? There's a little story I heard. It's kind of funny. It talked about a guy named Bill. He was, also bra- he was always bragging about all the powerful people that he knew. He said to his boss one day, Boss, you name anybody. I mean anybody, and I know him. His boss decided to challenge his claims, and he said, I guess you know Tom Cruise. Bill answered, sure I do. Tom and I are old friends. The boss asked him to prove it. So they went to, uh, they got on a plane, and they flew to Hollywood. And they walked up to Tom Cruise's house and knocked on the door. Tom Cruise answered the door and shouted, Bill, great to see you. You and your friend come in. Although impressed, Bill's boss still had a little skepticism in him. So he asked Bill if he knew the president. Bill said, sure, I do. Let's fly to Washington and I'll prove it to you. So they did. They flew to Washington and were admitted to the White House. About that time, the president came down and said with a surprise, Bill, what a surprise. I was just about going to a uh, meeting, but let's stop and have some coffee first. Bill's boss was very shaken at that point, but still not 100% convinced. As I left the White House, he said to Bill, Now, Bill, I know you're not Catholic, but do you know the Pope? Bill says, Me and the Pope go way back. We're good friends. Why don't we go see him? So they got on another plane, they flew to the Vatican, or flew over to Italy and then of course went to the Vatican. When they got to Rome, they arrived to pack people, hundreds of people, even thousands. Bill said, there's too many people out here to his boss. He says, you wait here. I know the guards, they'll let me in. Okay, so he did. So Bill disappeared for a little bit, but just after a short a minute or two, 
the Pope walked out with Bill. When Bill finally got back down to his boss, he was doing, uh, people were doing CPR on his, on his boss for a minute, and then after he came to, Bill asked him, boss, what happened? He says, I was doing fine until the Pope came, and you and the Pope came and walked out. A man next to me said, who's that guy with Bill? <laughs> See, our question isn't really about who we know, it's who knows us and for what reason. Who are you? And does the devil know your name? I've asked this a couple times. See, but this question here raises the bar for us. It's a personal question. Verse 15 again says, and the devil spirit, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Can you imagine what it would have been like to perform some kind of ministry, to be helping some person in need or doing some spiritual work, only to hear a statement in a question directed you in, a, in an evil voice? I know Jesus. I even recognize the pastor. I know the deacons. I know your Sunday school teacher. But who are you? There are so many subjects in these uh, nine verses and lessons that we can learn from these texts, but uh, we can chase a lot of rabbits here. <clears throat> For instance, it would be easy to develop a, a subject of the dangers of invoking the name of Jesus. Trying to do spiritual business in the name of Jesus can be hazardous to your health if you don't possess his support and power. The man possessed by the demon caught, was caused by the demon to overpower them and prevailed against them. My translation said, he got on them and whooped the tar out of them. They left naked and wounded. Man, that guy was good. This in itself would be an interesting message. But let's say with the sobering question, which the evil spirit asked the boys, who are you? We might ask ourselves, well, what am I? Who am I? It's a question that each of us ask ourselves when we're young. You know, what, what am I here for? What am I going to do? How am I going to put my mark on this, on this world? After we get a few more years behind us, we don't ask that question so much. That's bad, though, because the Bible tells us to examine ourselves, test ourselves, and even know ourselves. God's Word tells us it's vital that we know ourselves. We need to recognize if we're standing, doing nothing, standing on the fence between two opinions. We need to know what we're doing here. We have come to the grips with what we're actually doing with Jesus in our lives. And we need to rightly know if we love Jesus more than ourselves and all this stuff. If we refuse to ask this difficult question of ourselves, we will be the ones in the dark because others ask that same question about you. It's hard to believe, but I've heard people, people I know talk about others and say, and they call themselves Christians. 
when they question their actions or stuff that they're doing. I myself have turned to them, looked them straight in the eye and said, and so do we. So let me uh, give you three more reasons why we need to know ourselves. Number one, your challengers know who you are. And this I'm talking about your opponents, your enemies, and even some of those who antagonize you. How do they know you? In a couple of ways. First, they, if they're really your opponents, they will study and know you, know your tendencies. They will attempt to discover how you react to and respond to things. What you say and what you'll do, they'll watch and study and learn, and, they'll, and then they can use that against you to defeat you. I really enjoy watching college football. Every one of those coaches and players literally spend thousands of hours of studying the, their plays of their opponents so they could watch and overcome and beat them. This is what an opponent does. They discover things about you, including your motivation and your drive. Another way your challengers know you is because they have met you on the field of battle, so, so to speak. Back to football. When teams meet, they recognize each other because they have met before. In the spiritual realm, it's obvious from our text that Satan goes out, goes out of his way to get to know us because of the spiritual work that we do as Christians. He's studying us, trying to figure out how to divide us. A divided Christian is easier to defeat than a championed one. In other words, he knows his, oppo uh, his, oppo his opposition, his enemies, and his challenges. So Satan is not, um, not, uh, not omniscient, but he's smart. He studies those who opposed him because he wants to know a couple things about them. He wants to know who they are and who, whose they are. Let me say, those, whose you are determines who you are. In the story, we see the impact of trying to do good without the proper spiritual connection. Some people say they don't have a problem with Satan. He really never bothers me, they say. That's sad, because the answer is, he doesn't bother people who is actually walking with him. The story may also give us an insight to why many people have abandoned the Lord's ministry. When we attempt to do His work in our own strength, things go wrong. They get bad. You see, these guys, seven of them, were attempting to do good in the name of, Je in the name of Jesus. Honestly, we don't know why or what motivated them but they launched into the spiritual world of spiritual warfare the problem was the demon knew they were a fraud and that they were ill-equipped to take on such a strength as true as it is that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world it's also true that greater is he is who is in the world than you are. You go it alone against evil and you will be defeated every time. Why? 
because I've said it before, Satan knows your weaknesses and he knows when you are weakest. And at that place in your life and at that point in your uh, time of your life, he'll show up. How does this speak to the people leaving ministry and, or who are discouraged? Think about the seven young men whose dad was a priest and decided after watching the ministry of, the, of Paul and all the good stuff he was doing and how the people were responding him, to him that they wanted to step in into doing what he was doing. After all, if this man called Paul to do what he was doing, why couldn't they? They can do it just as good as anybody else and quite, and quite likely do it better. If someone decides to take on a spiritual task without having Christ or the Spirit of God in them, they're taking, the spirit, they're taking on the spiritual enemy in physical strength. And that has tragic consequences because your challenger knows who you are. Number two, your friends know you. Well, duh. Verse 17 tells us that this incident became known by everybody. People know who you are, your friends, your family, and even those who don't know you quite well. But we'll ask, we'll ask somebody about you. Consider just for a couple of practical thoughts. First, people closest to you know you the best and the most authentically the old saying is you can fool some of the people all the time or some of the people <clears throat> or all the people some of the time but you can't fool all the people all the time how true the ones who are closest to you really have a clear knowledge in fact many of the closest friends can tell how you're going to react to things, what motivates you, where your commitment lies. And they can be very accurate, especially the way you speak. The Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, people can listen to what you say and discover what's in your heart. People are watching you. You know who you are. You know how people will perceive you. If one of your closest friends were to be asked about you, and you can hear their answer, would their words be what you would want? That'd be a question. And would those words include Jesus, the Bible, his work, his mission? Believe me, they know what your answer is. Number three, Christ knows you. Oh, thank God for that. Human nature puts us in a place where we tend to put up a wall most of us have been hurt so bad, or in some cases, that we want to be thought of as good. So good that our defense mechanisms go up. It's like NORAD. So defense, things can't get in without your permission. How does this play out in the spiritual warfare? A pastor and his wife were visiting and came upon a man standing in the yard. They stopped and began to share Christ with him. He knew every answer to every question and was quite comfortable with his life. As they walked away, the priest, the pastor looked at his wife and said something like, well, he knew all the answers, didn't he? Her response was, yes, and he is lost as a dog. His answers were his defense. 
Knowing yourself is more important than knowing answers to the questions. It's about knowing our living Lord and what he's about. You see, he knows you. Your enemy knows you. You're going to go on one side or the other in your life. Your friends know you. Your enemies know you. But what do they know? Who are you? Are you a child of God? Are you walking in this world? What do you lie? So the question is, does the, does the devil know your name? If you call on the name of the Lord and live for Christ in prayer and supplication, the enemy sure does know your name. He's like, I don't want to mess with that one. That's too powerful. He has God on their side. She has God on their side. They have God on their side. I don't want to mess with any of that. That's what the devil looks and he goes to somebody else. That's what makes him nervous. So again, does the devil know your name? Does the enemy know your name? Christ does. He died for you. That's how much he knows you. He died for all of us. Not just the ones who show up for church or give the most money to the church or the ones who put up a, a good talk and know the answers. Funny thing is, he died for all of us. Even those who are lost, burning the wrong books, trying to create a riot. He died for them too. It's hard to believe, but he did. That's what we need to understand forgiveness and understand that we must give all to God. He has it under control. We don't. So live our lives for God. Live our lives like God. Give ourselves to him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. And we just, again, thank you so much for what you've done for us and continue to do for us. Some may not see you, your work in this, in this world. They think it is a broken and never able to be repaired, Lord. And we know that's not true because you can fix anything. You have everything under control, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we praise you and all of our songs and, and all of our praise and worship, our fellowship with one another and how we react to another, one another. But we've only learned that because, of course, we know what your word says and we know what your life meant and that is forgiveness and love and honesty. And truly, Lord, that we still need to learn these things. The apostles didn't learn these things right away, Lord, but they did eventually. We wouldn't learn these things right away, but we will eventually, as long as we continue on with what your life and your path has laid out for us, Lord. And that is the fact that you shed your precious blood for all of us, even those that curse you, Lord, and the ones that uh, turn their back on you, Lord. We know that you love them because you're still with us. We're still here doing your work, Lord. And until that day that you come back, Lord, we'll continue to do so. Why? Because we're not afraid of what, what lies ahead of us, whether it's life or death. But we want to know that we've made at least an impact in somebody's life. Somebody sitting out there in, in TV land watching this saying, well, you don't know what you're talking about, man. You're crazy. But the God knows who I am and what I'm about. Do you want him to know who you're about? You confess yourself. You get on your knees and you pray, Lord, forgive me for I've sinned. I've sinned against you and against uh, you know, my fellow man, Lord. And I ask that you forgive me and that you come into my life and you be the Lord and Savior 
that everybody talks about, Lord. And I want a piece of that. I want to have that peace in my life. I don't want to be worried about how people perceive me. I want people to know me because, of course, who I belong to, and that is your son, Jesus Christ. And if you prayed that, Lord, thank you for giving yourself this time. If you've even thought about praying that, Lord, Lord, help us. We pray for you, and we hope that uh, you would reach out to us and we'll be able to pray for you and pray with you and, and help lead you in that direct, in the direct path that Jesus had laid out. And Lord, again, we just thank you for this time together, and we thank you for the time that's to come. We know that's a glorious thing, Lord, and we praise you in all of it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.